Welcome to season two of Tell Me Something Good About Retail. I'm your host, Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor. You can find out more about me by going to retaildoc.com, where you'll find out I'm one of the foremost experts on brick and mortar retailing. Every week, I invite guests, vendors, and brick and mortar retailers to share their successes and their innovations to make the shopping experience fun. I believe we can change the world by those who are working in shopping and retail, so let's get to our first guest. Thanks for joining me on this interview. I was at Shop Talk recently and got to meet Jonathan Traber, CEO and co-founder of RevTracks. On this podcast, Jonathan talks about how his company gets bodies into brick and mortar stores to make purchases, how he learned at an early age the differences in brand perception and brand reality, and also from another job how he learned it's about somebody other than me first. I know you'll enjoy this, so let's get to it. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. Today, we get to speak to Jonathan Treber. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks. So uh, tell me, how do you, uh, well, tell me, let's, let's start with your company. So tell me, what is RevTrax? RevTrax uh, is a 10-year-old startup that, uh, based in New York that sells um, marketing software to big retailers and brands with a focus to help them be less promotional. Um, so Wait a minute, we, but only a coupon works. I have to do more coupons. If I don't well, do coupons, it won't come in. That's true. Uh, the uh, the current thinking is that they need to do more of the right coupons. Oh, okay. And uh, and ultimately, a lot of the brands that we work with are kind of sick and tired of doing the same old um, mass blast couponing that uh, that has potentially worked for them in the past, but is not as tailored to who their customers are and the different types of customers they have as they probably should. And they're getting pressure from their finance chief who's saying, hey, Margins we need to do down. less discounting. Yeah. Um, and so we represent a, uh, a set of capabilities that can help them with their digital offers in their digital marketing to, to be more efficient. So I think Ron Johnson actually did get that right about JCPenney, um, that, that it was overwhelming, the number that Penny's was doing on a regular basis. But So give me an example of um, um, I'm a without you know discovering your client list but let's say i am a apparel retailer i'm women's apparel retailer and uh, what i would come to you and say i want to target this sweater or would i say i want to target this woman or how would it work i have a yeah, promotion sure. so you, you would say um the conversation would be and i'll use a good example of uh tailored brands who's a client and we okay. recently did a case study with they uh they came to us and said we want to use our digital marketing efforts uh to acquire new customers Okay. and drive those new customers to purchase in our stores. Sounds like a great, great goal. And so they decided to um, use the resources that they put into search engine marketing and to affiliate marketing, which are um, you know, pretty, pretty standard channels for most e-commerce. So just to make sure everybody understands, that's like banner ads, that's like ads on other people's uh, sites, as well as the affiliate marketing where you're uh, going up against other people's, uh, you're, Paid on a, well, explain affiliate marketing. Sure. So, uh, yeah, search engine marketing, simple, pay-per-click. Um, you know, they're bidding on uh, hundreds of thousands of search terms, ranging from product-level uh, descriptions to competitive search terms. And uh, they want people to click on those ads on, on Google. The affiliate marketing side is actually a really, um, it's much less well understood by marketers. Good, because I didn't quite. <laughs> yeah. And it's a term that's uh, synonymous with performance marketing. 
Effectively, what it enables a retailer or marketer to do is to partner with thousands of web publishers that have eyeballs. Oh, right. And a lot of those web publishers are loyalty programs or um, um, coupon sites or blogs that are putting out content, typically promotional content to consumers. And the way the deal works is um, you partner with those publishers and if those publishers drive traffic to your site to make a purchase, you pay them a percentage. Gotcha. And so it's sort of low risk advertising and um, and typically drives pretty high ROI. The big thing that um, retailers increasingly want to do is to leverage that channel to drive in-store sales with measurability. Because if I just get you to come to the site, doesn't really give me anything. It may give you a purchase, but typically most retailers find that the um, the AOV is higher in store than online. Okay. The assortment might be better. The so, experience might be better. So now I'm willing to say that's a chunk of money that you're take, willing to take away from going through and paying for all that stuff with Google, as well as all those affiliate sites, and say, well, you're still going to do the affiliate sites, yep. but now you're going to do it in a different way. So how do how does yep. it differ? So it differs because um, a client who's spending a lot of money on Google or a lot of money on affiliate. The, the big change is they may be um, th that they're extending an in-store offer to that customer. So when you're clicking on blue shirt on Google and you land on Men's Warehouse, Men's Warehouse through RevTrax technology is serving you a specific discount offer to be redeemed in their stores. Okay. So you go through search, you click, you see the offer, you activate it, and then you redeem it in the physical store. And our unique secret sauce is that we've de uh, developed a way to take all that digital information, like what you searched on, and be able to combine it with a uniquely generated barcode that gets on your offer. So that's how you track it. That's how we yeah. track it. So now the redemption happens in store. You just bought three items, including a tuxedo, and you spend $400. We get a redemption file back and T-log file back that we can then marry back to, hey, this unique purchase for this amount, these items led to this yeah. came from yeah. somebody searching on Google on Tuesday at 3 p.m. for blue shirt. So here's a subject you probably don't want me to ask you about. So how does JDPR gonna fit into all this? So the good news is RevTrax really never touches PII. Okay. And the good news is, you know, when it comes to any type of so with customer acquisition marketing, it's almost always anonymous. Meaning if men's warehouse knew who you were by name, but they'd um, rather have gone after me by correct. name. So in this world of customer acquisition marketing, they don't know who you are until you make a purchase. And all we're doing is facilitating gotcha. that, you know, and accelerating the path to purchase to get you from an online search or an online coupon site yeah. to the store to buy where it's been proven you'll buy 30% more. And so what RevTrex has done That's with- That's quite a, don't gloss over that 30% more, is, that's kind of impressive. It's impressive. <laughs> it is. But, but and it's I your, won't take and it's your company. But. I won't take full credit for it because here's the dynamic that we've just tapped into. Our whole view 10 years ago, which was early, and you know how early it was of online and offline. Oh, my God. You're merging. right there at the crash. Yeah. The, the big thing that we, um, we believed, and it's been proven, is the best customers for a retailer are the customers that buy in store but originate online. Yeah, I've heard that. Hands down. Why? Because, you know, it's, uh, although they're in the, um, uh, the, the history books, but, you know, Sims used to say the, uh, an educated customer is the best customer. It actually rings true. People who are online searching, they're researching. They're, they're, they're doing things to show intent. Right. And then if you can get them Fulfill from an educated research standpoint, they're armed and dangerous. 
And if you can then drive that through a targeted incentive yeah. to fulfill it in store where you're gonna get merchandising support and um, associate support, you're gonna sell more. That's great. And so what our retailers found, um, which is awesome, is that by deploying RevTrax, they do three things. They reduce the, um, the amount of discounting they actually have done because instead of giving 20% off to everybody, they can something. give 10% off to these people, 15% here, 25% here, and do it intelligently so that overall they're not discounting by 20%, they're discounting by 15% right? Average down. So everybody's happy, CFO, et cetera, et cetera. And the customer's happy because they're getting an offer that's theoretically. So right is this the way we're going to go in marketing, do you think? Are we going to be moving less from the, is the pay and click kind of moving away? I know just as the retail doctor, I just, all that stuff with SEO words and everything, at some point you just kind of throw your hands up. It's like, there's so many ways that you could spend money, but what really brings it to you, you can't have that, well, it must be working, you know, that old 50% works and 50% doesn't, ha ha ha, I just don't know which is which. Uh, those days seem to be gone, don't you think? I think so. And I think the good news is, is the retail industry is catching up, because um, 10 years ago we were, we were probably a little too early here, is retailers are realizing that, you know, online customers are not their best customers. Right, It's that omni-channel approach, which was a term, ironically, that didn't exist when we started our business. So all we're trying to do is tap into the flow of customers that are online, but may not buy online. They may browse online on a men's warehouse website, right? It's an online catalog. Well, we start online. So 97% of people start online. That's right. And the in-store purchase has proven out um, is is a lot more profitable for the retailer. Well, see, I think what's so cool about that is uh, online returns are like 30 and 40%, whereas in store are like six to 10. Correct. So the numbers, if you can just get me to the store, to your point, I've, I've gone through more to get there, right? And I've really raised my hand to say, I'm committed to doing this because I'm gonna go through traffic and rain and snow and everything, find a place to park and I'm gonna roll the dice that when I walk in, I'm gonna be treated well, that it's much more likely that they'll hold on that, that sure. rather than, what the hell, I click the button, ah, they got free shipping both ways. Oh, they want 50 minimum, let's buy three of them, what do I care, and return two or three. That right. seems to be the bigger problem that retails, that's not you, but that's the bigger problem retail's ignoring, which is the huge return problems with online. I mean, it's, so, it's, over, it's overwhelming. It's, it's a big deal, and I think it plagues certain categories more than others, but what we've also seen, and this is a big deal too, that a lot of senior retail leaders are still questioning the impact that their digital investments have on driving in-store sales. So the connection between I spend 10 million, 50 million, 100 million a year online marketing, yeah. I know what it drives in terms of e-commerce. I know it clicks. I but I don't it. know what it drives in-store. Because we're not we connecting it and you're connecting directly it. connecting it. Nice. Um, and so it's really, for us, what's exciting is it's taking direct marketing, which has existed way before I've been in the business, and modernizing it and taking the world of printing presses and printing unique barcodes on direct mail pieces, which still happens. There's your but, secret code. That's right. But now doing it through software, through digital marketing and providing that direct line of sight in terms of somebody searched on this thing, clicked, and they bought in store for this amount of stuff provides visibility and accountability that a lot of retail CMOs, CEOs are Continuing They're desperate to for they need for. yeah they need that dead on that so let's go back so yeah. how did you get started and uh, I know you have a connection to a retailer to restaurant or hospitality something sure how did you get going um, it was a summer job in high school okay. and it was uh, I did it for a couple of years and it, it was eye opening 
So it was a, uh, a restaurant, a, a seafood restaurant okay. that uh, was, was in the neighboring town from where I grew okay, up. Okay, so where are we? What state are we? We're in New York. Okay. Uh, and it, it's, uh, uh, dare I say the, the name of the restaurant? Uh, East Chester Fish Gourmet in East Chester, New York. Okay. And it's um, uh, a high-end seafood restaurant. Really, uh, really good, really popular and, and expensive. The, um, the side of the business though, and they expanded from the retail business into, um, well, it's still retail, but catering. Okay. So the catering job was the job I had for, uh, right. for two summers. Okay. And what was eye-opening about it was um, everything you'd imagine, all the shenanigans happening, you know, behind the scenes in terms of getting ready for a clam bake, for some, uh, you know, some some uh, multimillionaire in a mansion somewhere, and you know they're having uh, 50 guests or 100 guests, and the amount of prep that went in to making sure, you know, all the inventory of the items were necessary, that we loaded them onto the truck, that we had all the condiments. I remember it was the first time and, and the eye-opening time that I um, I realized that at least for the Eastchester Fish Gourmet, none of the Heinz ketchup bottles actually contain Heinz ketchup. Um, and I know this specifically <laughs> because part of my first job when I started, um, you know, as the, the grunt kid, right, the, the, the entry level Absolutely. was to refill the ketchup bottles, that the Heinz ketchup bottles, the glass bottles that they reused with Hunt's, you know, store brand uh, tomato sauce or to, uh, ketchup. Right, right, right. And, uh, and I remember, you know, taking it from the plastic jug and trying to pour it into the funnel and get it in. And I'm like, who are we fooling here? But... You know, that the, the, the message from the top down was Heinz ketchup is expensive. And I'm like... How expensive could it be, right? That's what you start thinking. Half the price or twice the price. Now, you'd have to question how many dollars are we really talking about. But to me, the insight was um, around the appeal for product quality sacrifice. So Heinz ketchup is better than the store-bought ketchup. So it's you... not a brand thing. It's a quality thing. They literally have said it's the profit margins are better if we put a subpar product in this and pass it off exactly. as something else. And if they think they're eating it, then... Then they must, it must be good. And so that was a little bit, although I didn't think of it as marketing at the time, right? Or the power of a brand like Heinz and that you could literally do, you know, a Coke challenge type taste test. And these people, you know, with all the alcohol served at these catering events, wouldn't care or wouldn't know the difference. But... Those types of experiences as we learn about, obviously, customer service when we got to the event and we had to set up and how, um, how actually awful a lot of the customers treated us. Okay, I just have to stop okay. here because it's funny you said that because when I was starting out, I remember I had a buddy of mine who was a caterer in Los Angeles, same thing. And so I didn't have anything to do really on some nights and he'd say, oh, you want to come do that? Now, mind you, I was making a really good amount of money. It was good money. It was good money. But I mean, I was like already doing great in my own okay. job. Got it? <laughs> so I'm up there in Malibu one night and I'm helping, you know, set all the stuff and he goes, you know, I just need somebody to help him with the park the car. So it's like, okay. So I, I helped this with a woman. He's like, oh, it's over here. And I hear it's whispered to this other guy it's like that poor guy working on Christmas Eve he must or New Year's Eve he must really need the money and I laughed it was like no but it was very interesting to see when you're in the catering world really how much customer service and how much setting the table has to do with it yeah and then the difference between being a guest at an event and you appreciate all that goes behind it but also it's serving others which is why the longtime listeners here in my second season I always ask this question because you don't get on my podcast unless you have a connection to that because Jonathan I think you learn 
at, at an early age, it's about somebody other than me first. I think right. it was the, one of the first job experiences I had um, that taught me a life lesson, which was I got to see the world from the other side. And um, it was certainly- I And like that world, right? It's nice to see that pretty it's world. It's nice to see that pretty world, but the, 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 golden, um, the golden rule, that the amount of times people mistreated me and others as the staff and the service provider, right, in retail, um, because they could or because they thought they could, yeah. to me solidified in my head that um, I would never treat people that way. And so it gives me a totally different appreciation when I'm the guest at a restaurant, right? And I've got wait service or I've got somebody and somebody makes a mistake with an order. I'm not gonna be the people that were my customers off with their head. when I was 15, 16 years old and bite their head off because it's not gonna make me feel any better, right? And in fact, I can make them feel 10 times better by being understanding. And so there's an empathy that I think is why you have the opinion you do. That you can be successful in business if you've had a role in retail Absolutely. and serving others. Because it is, it is something other than yourself, but it also teaches you lessons if you're open to learning them Absolutely. about how to treat people and how not to treat people. And without that, I think you're just another guy telling people, you need my product. And at the end of the day, it's like, there's a million other people I could choose. Why you? That's right. Because you haven't really understood my problem, which you've understood. So uh, I, if you get like bogged down, like way to the world's on you, that's like, oh, I just can't focus. What do you do to get your, your mojo back besides go to shop talk or something like that? What do you uh, uh, do to, to refocus or what gets you going again? Um, on a personal level, yeah. I play heavy metal guitar. Are you? I'm yeah. a conductor, actually. So, Fantastic. See, I knew, I knew Music is my outlet. Okay. Music is my outlet. And, um, uh, is this a, in your garage or just going out to basement. a band? Or basement. basement. Okay. So it's not a garage band, but a basement. And, uh, and, and I, and I played for many, many years. So it's, uh, and you wouldn't know by looking at me, but I'm a big, uh, uh, Metallica fan, ACDC fan I wouldn't have and, thought that in the least. and love it. Um, and so it's an outlet, right? It's not, uh, I do love jazz. I do love classical music, but I'd say music overall is my outlet. Okay. And, um, I, I, you know, am, am a victim of Netflix, you know, TV show binge watching every once in a while. I get sucked into a season or, or to a show and Absolutely. it's, uh, it's an outlet yeah. that helps me get distracted from the day to day. Every night I have to watch a movie. I don't care if it's Apple TV or Netflix. Like I need something not retail based. I turn off the phone. It's like, I don't want to comment about whatever Target did today or somebody else yeah. and take me out. And then I discover like Mrs. Maisel and you're like, okay, the next Three nights, I'm just going to be powering through it. And then you're like, season two comes and you're like, yeah, it's not as good. I don't care about the dad. I care about, the, about her journey in New York. But it takes us out. That's my thing is take me out into somebody else's journey. And it doesn't be an inspirational story, right? It's not like this victory over something horrible. Just let me see what a normal person is going through in it. Yeah. So I have a question I always end my uh, interviews with. Tell me something great about retail. It is always changing. And the best news I feel about retail as we're sitting here today at Shop Talk is the pace of change has never been greater and necessary. And I think that that is what makes it exciting. I like that. That's a good place for us to end. So uh, how do we find out more about you, Jonathan? And Rev Tracks, which yeah. I do think could be a great superhero. I'm uh, just saying Rev Tracks comes in. 
I'll Changes get you retail. A, uh, a logo tee. I like that. A big X. I like that. Okay. I like that. Okay. A follow-up so. item. Um, <laughs> How do we find out more about you and your company? Our website, um, www.revtracks.com, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, pretty easy to find. Cool. And that's with an X, not a CKX. So there you go. Thanks very much for joining us, Jonathan. Thanks. That brings us to the close of another episode of Tell Me Something Good About Retail. I'm Bob Fibbs, your host, known as The Retail Doctor, based in the United States. Tune in next week when we have another set of movers, shakers, influencers, vendors, and brick-and-mortar retailers, all there to make you a smarter retailer.